what's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind coming at you per usual from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really, we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right. The best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay? For free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making zero dollars on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right. So go to CryptoRevolution.com today and get your free copy. All right, Crypt Nation, what is going on? You got Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind coming at you from San Diego per usual uh, for another episode of Crypto 101 Podcast. That's right. We are here today with another uncovered gem that you're not going to see right now on CoinMarketCap's first page. The best things going in the space are usually quietly working heads down, and that's what our friend Will Martino, the co-founder and CEO of Cadena, has been doing for the past several years, but it is time for the grand unveiling, and he's here at Crypto 101 Podcast to talk a little bit more about what they've been working on over there. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really, really, really excited because you actually come from the dark side, if you will, you know, tongue in cheek. You come from the traditional uh, financial world a little bit. Um, you were formerly uh, working on blockchain over at JP Morgan. Um, so we're excited to get into that. But first, you know, tell us about your background. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating backgrounds of, of any of our guests uh, that we've had on the show before. Yeah, I hope it's not too much of the dark side, but I do <laughs> I come that out of, cheek. I know, I know. And it's, you know, one of the things that like I like about the space is that as it's maturing, we're getting people that have kind of a more diverse and uh, more you know, production oriented background jumping into the space and building. And that's just awesome because it makes everything better. So I come out of JP Morgan, um, their blockchain group. But before that, I got my start in crypto actually at the Securities and Exchange Commission. I was there as a lead engineer for a quant group that was building forensic data analysis tools. And when I was there, Valerie founded the cryptocurrency working group and she needed a tech lead. So I raised my hand to be you know, the first tech lead for the first crypto working group inside of the SEC. Went from there to JP Morgan. And that's when I started actually working on building blockchains. It's where I met my co-founder, Stuart Popejoy. He was running a desk inside of an R&D group that turned into the Blockchain Center of Excellence. And him and I built JP Morgan's first blockchain. It was a project called Juno. It was a high-performance uh, private blockchain that was doing the, effectively, it was JP Morgan Coin version zero. We built that out um, and did a bunch of vendor vetting at the same time on behalf of JP Morgan because they needed experienced engineers to be able to dig into these platforms 
that were trying to sell to JP Morgan at the time. So we got to see everyone from Vitalik uh, coming through to talk about Ethereum to being around when Fabric was first made by IBM, basically all of the enterprise players that you've uh, heard of. And when we were digging into that, we realized that there were a lot of core technical things that needed to be solved for before we could really start talking about the business side. And we started building Juno and eventually decided that the best place to go and push this technology forward was to leave and found Kadena. Beautiful. So I'm really curious about you know, what's really going on, you know, before we dive into Kadena, what's going on at JP Morgan. So are these guys uh, pro crypto? Are they anti crypto? Are they, you know, pro opportunity? I know we had Jamie Dimon saying, you know, Bitcoin's a scam, but then they come out with JP Morgan coin, which is a blockchain based, you know, uh, settlement network. So what, what is their mindset? And like, what was the impetus for them to start, um, you know, kind of this blockchain division and, you know, more broadly, why, why are any of these banks starting blockchain divisions? That's a really good question. And it's one that I've gotten over the years as we've been building Kadena. Um, for just JP Morgan's side, the it's important to note that JP Morgan's the size of a medium-sized nation or a small nation. I think it's 200,000 people globally or some enormous number of employees. So it's just so big that like there can be parts of it that disagree with other parts of it. So Jamie Dimon can think that Bitcoin's a scam and they can also put out you know, one of the better private blockchain platforms and really help the industry to become much more legitimate to the existing you know, enterprise and retail environment. You know, at the same time, without really conflicting even that much internally, it's just that big and it has you know, that much ability to do that many things. When it comes to you know why are banks and why are technologists who are uh, you know significantly experienced in fintech excited about blockchain, you know why did they like it and why you see these blockchains coming out of these banks? It's that when you've actually dug into the ugly back offices that are modern financial institutions, you know these are the core databases, the backend infrastructure, because banks really are technology companies. They just don't sell technology. They sell other services, but all of their stuff is based on technology at this point. So when you have a, you know, a senior engineer see blockchain and really smart contracts for the first time, and they think to themselves, wow, I can fix so many things inside of the bank that I have to deal with right now for a fraction of the cost and make it much more efficient and also much safer, much easier to audit, much more compliant. That's what gets people going. And JP Morgan started, was just very early in the process because they had this R&D group that was formed by the CTO of the investment bank. Uh, this was, I think it was Emerging Technologies is what it was first called. And it was really cool. We would just work on whatever uh, leading edge vendors would come in to try to sell JP Morgan. We would both get to go and uh, try to do some R&D to see like how this stuff actually works and to go build on it. But also we would get to go and vet all of these different vendors. And it was that the blockchain people started coming through. So we started digging into it. So that's really how it started. And then it just happened that we had the right team at the right time to be able to both dig into blockchain in a significant fashion and also go and actually build a blockchain and really understand the core of what's going on with it. That's really fascinating. So before that, you were even at the SEC, as you mentioned, and give us a little peek into that world at that time. They're looking at crypto and blockchain. 
were they really interested in it or were they really adverse to it? And how have you seen the attitudes change or unfold? And, you know, what were you guys really looking for in that forensic data tools? So the forensic data tools were for, um, this was more of an issue around that uh, quantitative trading had picked up significantly in the 90s and 2000s. And the SEC just didn't have the technology needed to be able to dig into that large of a volume of data. And this group got formed to go and solve that problem. It was effectively, and it still is a internal startup inside of the SEC. They just don't have any marketing around it because there's no reason for them to. But the tools that they build are now nationally deployed, and they're one of the foundations of the exam and enforcement division when it comes to anything related to you know, a trade blotter that has more than, I don't know, maybe 100,000 entries in it. Uh, that's when the QAU, this quant group, gets called in. Um, but I was there when Valerie just did the crypto working group because people have been talking about it internally. And as a touch of historical context, this was before Mt. Gox. So that's kind of how long ago it was. And... From a SEC, from a regulatory point of view, or at least you know, my experience as a regulator, a immutable trail of transactions is a huge boon to what people need for doing uh, kind of an online type of regulation, where we can actually go and check almost you know entry by entry in real time what's going on, is it compliant? And also for doing any forensic analysis, it's great to have a ledger of all of the transactions that can't be cooked. You can't go and cook the books for Bitcoin. That's one of the core features of it is that it's public and that it isn't something that someone can go and change after the fact. So from a regulatory point of view, it's going to be really nice. And inside of the SEC, a lot of people understood this. But then at the same time, it's an emerging technology and it's getting used in you know, weird and different ways. And you're talking about money so quickly and something that's fungible so quickly that there is, of course, the worry that people are going to go and make um, scams out of it, which we've seen repeatedly over the years. And you just see scams in finance in general from time to time. It just, it's unavoidable. So from the SEC point of view, or at least putting on my regulator hat, there was this project called uh, CAT, which is the Consolidated Audit Trail, which was supposed to unify all the data sources across finance so that you could have this idea of real-time auditability, of real-time regulation. And that the progress towards that actually being delivered has been very slow. I'd be surprised if it actually ever does come into fruition and exists in a real and meaningful way. But when you you know, you think about CAT and what CAT would represent for the SEC, and then you look at something like Bitcoin and this emerging technology of blockchain, you say, hey, it looks like the uh, industry, the public has gone and actually invented something not that dissimilar from a consolidated audit trail, and it's already in production and people are already using it. So we definitely shouldn't kill it in the crib because a lot of the features that it has are features that we really wish the modern financial system would have. So you know, that's why you know, the SEC doesn't just jump in like other regulators have and just try to squash this thing into the ground. There is a huge amount of upside from a regulatory perspective when everything is tracked and everything's mutable. That's so insightful. Thank you so much for giving us an open window to the SEC and JP Morgan that no one else could provide, quite frankly. But I want to pivot for just a second because to unpack your story just a little bit more, as a tech guys listening right now, we're like, wow, Will had two absolute dream jobs at places that people would kill to work for, yet you walked away. There was a point 
in your life where you said, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. Can you walk us through that moment, what you were thinking, what was going on, and how you came up with the concept for Kadena? Yeah, that's a uh, first of that question. And I guess the core of it is that uh, Stuart and myself saw an even bigger opportunity. Um, I had always kind of thought that I wanted to start a company if I ever had an idea that I thought really had legs and really could go out and change the world. And when we were inside of JP Morgan and we were working on blockchain for a year, we deployed the first one for JP Morgan. We open source it, present it to Hyperledger. Um, we have all of these connections and all of this uh, just insight into what actually is needed to make crypto a thing. We the opportunity was just huge, and I had the right co-founder. If I wasn't with uh, Stuart, there's no way that I would have found it. I like him and I were both absolutely fundamental to being able to make Kadena build the platform and nail our launch. Um, so that's a big part of it too. It's kind of at the core. It's also just like, it's a really cool project. Uh, the government is, you know, it was meaningful to me because I do at my core believe in regulation and I also believe in public service. So being able to, you know, having someone come to me and say, hey, we'd like you to come to work at the SEC. We want to make this better. I you know jumped at the opportunity and I went in and, we made it better, demonstrably. And then uh, after that, went to JP Morgan, mostly because I wanted to work on R&D on some cutting-edge projects. And it was only then that the idea of the opportunity of, whoa, we think we can actually go and make a blockchain a reality, something that is just you know integrated across the world within a decade, that you know got me to say, I think it's time for us to jump and go out into our onto our own and found Kadena. That's that's really beautiful. And, you know, one of the really cool things about your co-founder, Stuart, Stuart Haber, is that that's how you pronounce it, correct? Uh, Stuart Popejoy. Stuart Haber is our advisor. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Sorry. Well, your advisor, Stuart Haber, is a renowned cryptographer who laid the groundwork for a lot of blockchain back in 1990. And his colleague, Scott Stornetta, uh, they published a series of papers outlining really the concept of blockchain. These guys were the most cited authors in Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper. How did you meet these cats? And, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about that story of how you guys met and how you guys, you know, decided to work together. Yeah, uh, Stuart Haber, he's, you know, it's an honor to get to work with um, the godfather of blockchain and have him on board and bouncing ideas off of him. Amazing. Uh, he was just kind of in the New York community. And we ran into him at events and then said, it's like, hey, we would love for you to be an advisor and help us think about these things, um, you know, the data structures, because uh, you know, we haven't gotten to it yet, but our public blockchain is takes the blockchain data structure that he invented and expands on it. It effectively, it shards it so that we can have massive throughput for the same amount of uh, proof of work energy that's going into it. And having the guy who designed the first, the blockchain data structure, who invented the blockchain data structure on board was um, absolutely critical. And as for my steward, for my co-founder, um, there are parts of finance that I don't have direct experience with. These are you know, exchanges. Uh, these are building actually quant trading platforms because I've done the forensic side of it. Uh, these are building uh, you know, different 
uh, like database UIs for uh, traders um, actually deploying out a smart, or sorry, not a smart contract language, but deploying like a, a trading specific language to people who are technical but non-programmers in a trading environment. Um, that's what my co-founder brings to the table. He has 15 years of fintech experience where between him and I, we have experience effectively across the board in fintech. And then that plus having Stuart Haber, you know, he's just so down to earth. He's really smart. And he really just appreciates the scope of what Kadena uh, is working on, of just scaling layer one proof of work, of actually scaling the core idea of the blockchain data structure so that it can meet the needs of modern business. Like this team that was put together, like we were able to not only come up with something truly different that addresses so many problems that people have run into over the last five years since Ethereum launched, but actually, you know, come up with the idea, but also get it out into production because launching is just, it's critical. It's fundamental to being able to move crypto forward. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. US customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at etoro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way. Etoro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. What do you mean by scale proof of work in non-technical terms? Can you break that down and give us an analogy? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm going to assume a base understanding of, of what a blockchain is and that there's a block and that there are transactions in that block and those transactions move things from point A to point B or they run uh, some program, a smart contract it's called. And that there is a genesis block, so the first block, and then there is a block that comes after that and that block points at the previous one. You know, this is how Bitcoin and Ethereum and pretty much all the blockchains work in that there is a block of new transactions that is appended, is added to the existing chain of transactions. And that is how you get a cryptocurrency to work in public. Now, we've been experimenting with this technology for now about 10 years, maybe 12, depending on if you count it at the beginning of the Bitcoin white paper back in, I think it was 2008. And there is a core limitation to the throughput that a blockchain can give you in the traditional sense, because you can only ever put so many transactions into a single block. And if you only have one, if one block is followed by another block is followed by another, there's only so many transactions that can actually go into that system. You can think of it kind of like, um, think of it like a, you know, think of it like a straw or something. It's like a narrow tube, a hose. And there's only so much that you can push through it at a, in a given period of time, so many transactions you can do. And when there's congestion, meaning that there's more people who want to do a transaction than there is space to do one, the fees on the network go up and it becomes more expensive to do uh, transactions of digital currency on the network. Um, what we've figured out how to do is we don't have just one 
chain in our network. And no one's ever done this before. People have talked about this idea of what's called sharding, where you can have multiple ledgers that comprise an entire network. But we're the first ones to actually hit the market with it. And we did it by using proof of work, which is just so radically different than the narrative that people have been, you know, that other projects have been pitching for the last five years of how do we scale that people really scratch their heads and they think about it. But for our system, instead of having one chain, we have right now 10. And you can think of them like, imagine having now instead of one hose where you're pushing transactions through it, you have 10 identical hoses, but you're braiding them together into basically a rope. Now you have 10 times the throughput, but it's still one network. And that's what we figured out how to do. So we, instead of it just being, when you mine a block, it points at the block that came before. With our network, when you mine a block, it points at the block that came before for that chain, but it also points at some of the previous blocks for some of the other chains in the network. And then over subsequent steps, any block that's found in the network is either pointed to, is referred to directly or indirectly by every block found in the network going forward. So this is how we can make sure that uh, we only are, you know, if you mine a block on one chain, you get some coins and that those coins can be transferred to um, one of the other chains in the network, but completely trustlessly. It's the big unsolved problem that people have been talking about for the last 10 years was you know, when I would go and I would talk, when I would think about Bitcoin before even Ethereum existed, I would say, you know, Bitcoin's a really cool idea, but it doesn't have the throughput that you need. Five transactions a second globally just isn't enough and it never will be for this technology to truly take off. And you know, that's been the big kind of gotcha that people have, that you know, haters on crypto have been saying for a decade. Uh, these things are never going to scale. And they're just a very slow database. What we figured out is a solution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details to that. We've taken proof of work, so core Nakama Bitcoin consensus, and just figured out that by some graph theory and some other kind of advanced ideas, you can actually just add more chains in parallel next to it and braid them into a single network that is still as decentralized and trustless and ownerless as a single chain network. Wow, that is really fascinating. What do you call you know this huge braided network? Is there a name that you've given to it? So the name of the network is Kadena Mainnet, or just Kadena. The currency is KDA, and the scaling approach, the actual data structure itself, is called ChainWeb, which was the name that we gave it when we presented it at Stanford Blockchain Conference a couple of years ago. Okay. And for people who are listening and are you know, at a computer, the fastest way to understand what I'm talking about is to go to Explorer 
www.chainweb.com, which is the block explorer for our network. And to take their mouse and hover over one of the blocks that's found in the network. And you'll see how it points back at its previous block, but also some of the other ones, and then how those other ones point at the rest of the network. And it'll immediately make sense. Oh, they aren't just mining one block that comes next. They're mining one of 10 blocks for one of the 10 chains in the network. So that makes a lot of sense. We're trying to explain different data structures for Web 3.0. We've got blockchain, but there's also hash graphs. There's also DAGs, uh, directed acyclic graphs. And then sometimes people are using side chains and things of that nature. And now we have one more brand new term to add to that list, chain web. So very, very cool. Who is your ideal customer or user at Cadena? What type of people are actually going to be utilizing this platform? So short term, it's the people that have a vision of what they wish that they could have built on top of Ethereum, but weren't actually able to get that stack to work. That's kind of like the people who are the most educated and um, once they hear about Kadena, will be able to take advantage of it the fastest. Uh, that's because while Chainweb is cool and while, yes, it's a, a watershed moment that we have scaled proof of work and that we've actually rolled out you know, a decentralized, scaled proof of work base layer, that's not the coolest feature of Kadena. The coolest feature of Kadena is the smart contract language Pact that runs on top of it. Pact is a language that we started designing right after we left JP Morgan. We battle tested it with multiple Fortune 500 companies. Um, and it is designed to address the core problems around building applications on top of a blockchain. It is a domain-specific language that is human-readable, meaning that the code that you write, you can actually read on-chain. It doesn't compile to something you can't understand. Uh, it is uh, Turing incomplete and aimed at safety, These and also aimed at being very uh, legible, very lucid. Um, those combined mean that for a developer to learn it, it's closer to learning something like SQL, which is a uh, very easy to learn language versus something like uh, JavaScript or Solidity, which is a you know much more advanced or uh, much more complicated language that has a lot of features that you may actually not be able to use on top of a blockchain. Uh, it also has formal verification. It has governance. Um, it has Oracle integration. It has all of these things that we were building initially for our enterprise clients that we figured out that we could democratize to the rest of the world by putting them on top of a public chain. It just so happens that in the process of figuring out what type of public chain to put it onto, we discovered how to scale a public uh, ledger. And that's always kind of like when people first come to the platform, like, wait, you have this and you have this and you have this, like, wait, which, which is like the big headline feature? And it's kind of a, you know, do you care about having digital cash with low fees? Because ChainWeb allows you to have that. Do you care about rapidly being able to deploy dApps in a really safe way and being able to formally verify them because Pact is you know very well suited to that. Do you want to have the ability to uh, run part of your business on a smart contract, but also scale it across a scalable base layer? Because Pact and Chainweb, when combined, allow you to do that. You can actually have CryptoKitties launch, say, on one of the chains if it gets massive market adoption and all of a sudden saturates that chain inside of the network with transactions, which did happen to Ethereum when CryptoKitties first launched, you can take that contract and actually clone it onto a few of the other chains. And now you can have four, six, 10 times the initial throughput that you had so that you can actually 
capture that momentum that you've built up because of uh, the, the adoption that you're seeing for your application, as opposed to the traditional problems that you run into with basically everything that's come before of if you have a successful app, you're going to saturate the network and that momentum that you've built is going to eventually die because it just gets blocked. Hmm. Very cool. So, so let's take a step back real quick um, and kind of look at the, you know, the future uh, from your standpoint. Um, do you think that the future is going to be solely, you know, public chains um, stuff like that. Do you think the future is going to be solely enterprise blockchain? And, and really, maybe there's a combination. Um, and, and why are we doing all these things um, in blockchain? Like, what wh- what's the end goal here? It's it's a good question. It's a hard one to you know, directly kind of dig into. I think stepping mm-hmm. back a touch to um, kind of bring up one of the founding principles that Stuart and myself had when we founded Kadena was that we sat down and we said, let's assume that blockchain is going to be a thing in 2030. So, you know, a little bit more than a decade, about 13 years out. By then, let's assume it's a thing. And that means that it's both widely integrated. Uh, A lot of people end up using it similar to how a lot of people use the internet, even though they may not know how TCP works. Um, And that it is um, something that is like is very much for real. That the stigma of the kind of sketchiness that uh, the initial um, build out of blockchain, while we're really exploring the technology, had has alleviated. Now it's really just big business at this point, where there are um, small entrepreneurs on it. There are enterprises. There are you know crypto nomads. Um, there's it's kind of a gathering place for this next gen of tech. So assuming that is true, what do we know that we're going to need to hit that end state? And that's how we came up with, you know, we needed to have a scalable base layer. We needed to have a private chain that was suitable for enterprise use because enterprises have a huge amount of value. And the only way you can be able to onboard big chunks of that value is if they can run a private chain. But that's not quite enough. You also need to be able to link that private chain, think like JP Morgan coin, you need to be able to link it with a public chain because that's when the big value add comes because you can use the public chain as this integration layer so that JP Morgan coin and let's say Goldman coin can both be represented partially on something like Kadena mainnet and can actually be transacted with each other. So now you can start integrating these back offices and you can start integrating these businesses without having to have different teams inside of these um, large enterprises directly talking and opening up firewall ports and going through the technical issues that you generally run into when you try to get two businesses to start working together on some product. So there's kind of a bunch to it, but the future, if blockchain is going to be a thing, it needs to be kind of, it needs to be hybrid for lack of a better term. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about this idea of private chains that link to a public chain and that you can have smart contracts that can actually interoperate with each other on chain. Um, it's one of the core features that Ethereum first pitched when they were launching. They were supposed to be able to do two main things. One was to have uh, tokens and be able to do tokenization on chain, which they absolutely nailed and made billions of dollars off of. And the second was they were supposed to be able to have contracts that could interact with each other, that could be service providers for each other. On that second one, they haven't been very successful, if successful at all. Um, the people who have tried to have smart contracts interact, uh, the most notable failure was the parity multisig uh, bug that caused about $200 million of Ethereum to get locked up because people were 
trying to interoperate with a multi-sig wallet um, and that multi-sig wallet froze and then everyone's while everyone's individual wallets also froze because the parent that they were trying to import and interoperate with froze so we fixed that problem and a bunch of other ones but you know there's it needs to be more than just um, store value and more than just transfers and it needs to be more than just tokens it needs to actually you need to be able to represent real business on these things and real complicated workflows whether they be a multi-sig wallet or a supply chain and once we can do that once we actually have a technology platform that has the scale and the security needed to start in earnest talking about the business possibilities that this represents that's the next step that I see towards this future where in 2030, blockchain's a thing. Um, it's in- integrated with multiple apps on our phone. We may or may not know that it's actually using blockchain behind the scenes, but nonetheless, this is a core innovative technology that has matured to the point that it has gone industrial. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We just recently saw this past week, uh, there was a featured app on the Apple App Store that actually uses blockchain. And no one needed to know that. No one needed to interact with it. It just happened to use it. So we're already just starting to see that trickle in. What do you think the ceiling is for Cadena? And let's talk about your tokens and tokenomics, because that is something that our our listeners are really curious about. Tell us how it works, what the addressable market is, you know, how what's the how do we properly look at the Cadena token and what gives it value versus speculation? Well, this is where we get into the trickier side of my background, specifically the SEC side. Um, I need to be more careful than pretty much everyone else in the industry who's a founder when it comes to talking about um, what the price is, like how this thing's going to go to the moon, all of that stuff. Like I can barely even touch it. Um, For us, it's about the fundamentals. It's, you know, uh, our token KDA, it works just like Ethereum uh, in that you use it to pay for gas, miners mine it out. We have an interesting token economic model in that it's modeled it's a it's modeled like Bitcoin in that it has a fixed supply, but it's modeled like um, Ethereum in that that supply comes out at a slow rate. So it has about a two percent inflation rate over the first um, year, and then it degrades down to one percent over the next nine years, and you know, between that and all of the fundamentals that we bring to the table, I mean, I just kind of underscored again, like we figured out how to scale proof of work. People have been trying to figure this out for a decade and we rolled it out. It's in production actually works. So like if that isn't meaningful and that doesn't have value in and of itself with this core problem that the entire industry has agreed is a core issue is actually live and in production, like a solution to it is live and in production, then it's kind of hard to say. But Really, it's the value is going to be captured in our ability to address all of the use cases that you just can't do with something like um, Ethereum or like Tezos, where you need a, a smart contract language that's built by people who have built exchanges, who have built the forensic data analysis backends that have been deployed nationally, um, that have built, uh, you know, helped on search at Google, that have uh, done back office stuff um, at Goldman Sachs, like people who have built very serious production applications and understand the different bits that are going to be needed for you to actually bring business onto a platform where every smart contract that you write 
is also a public bounty because if you mess it up, anyone can come in and steal the funds right out of it. So how do you make this thing that is uh, has a huge amount of potential and is incredibly, but is also risky, safe enough for you to bring on multiple billions in value from an existing enterprise? And we have that answer. It's packed, but it needs to run on top of something that can scale, but that's chain web. So for all of our listeners that are really excited about everything you built and they want to get some KDN tokens for making transactions on your network, uh, when and where can they go to get some? That is the million dollar question right now for us. We are working on our first major listing. Again, because of my SEC background, this is not something that we could have had lined up right at launch. Um, The Telegram case made that pretty clear. Oh, yeah. So we are currently not listed on any of the majors. And as you had uh, pointed out in the intro, um, we are one of the diamond in the rough projects. So you can swing by our discord and ask people there um, what their experience is. There's a couple of exchanges that uh, you know, small exchanges that haven't even talked to us that have integrated us. So it's kind of a buyer beware. Really. I think it's come to our discord. So just swing by Kadana.io and find the discord link and swing by the OTC community there and go and ask people because right now we're aiming to do our first listing in hopefully in the next uh, couple months and hopefully get it announced in about the next month but we are still in the otc phase of the platform we did also just launch in on january 15th well there you go guys you heard about it here first pretty amazing well we just have a couple more questions before we wrap it up these are the same questions we ask everyone that comes on the show and we i know already we definitely would love to have you back with your co-founder Uh, for one of our Founders Series podcasts, just talking more about the business end of things. But this has been a fascinating conversation. We're going to wrap it up here in just a second. But lastly, who's one person that you admire in the crypto space that really motivates you to do what you do? I've really admired uh, Zucky Manian. Um, Him and I have been friends for a couple years. And his background, um, the number of different companies that he's founded, his work ethic, his drive, and his just vision when combined with his compassion and also just kind of a shrewd business sense all together is makes him someone that I've really do admire in the space. I completely agree. I actually uh, got a chance to meet Zaki uh, in San Francisco during the Trusted IoT Alliance uh, maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago. And I agree. Uh, the guy is really brilliant and very, you know, he's very concise and clear with what he says. And actually, I think just today, I mean, we're recording this uh, February 19th. And today he just kind of stepped away from Tendermint to go focus on IBC. Is that correct? Something like that? I um, I read about it right before I jumped on the phone here. So I had to <laughs> catch up with him. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to uh, hopefully bring him on the podcast too to dive a little bit deeper into Cosmos Network and IBC and all that kind of stuff. But um, moving on, another question we really like to ask is, you know, apart from your company um, or really any companies that you might have a a vested interest in, what is one project or company that you think is having just the most tremendous impact uh, on the crypto space or on the world at large? The current most tremendous impact? That one's hard. I would say probably Ethereum, just it's still its lasting effects. Um, I do worry that the Ethereum community is eventually going to effectively 
get tired of hearing that Ethereum 2 is one year away again because I've been hearing it for multiple years now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so eventually, and I, for the record, I've read into their technical stuff. I don't understand how their sharded Casper thing will actually ever work. So Oof. just fair warning. It doesn't make sense. This is as someone who invented the protocol that we launched that is effectively sharding. So like, I don't get how this is going to work. Um, but for ones that are impacting the community in a really positive way um, now that I'm really bullish on for the next year, uh, Cosmos is definitely one. And I think MobileCoin, I'm just really interested in. Um, I've met their founder and talked to their uh, co-founder by the phone. Um, I, MobileCoin, I think, has a huge amount of potential if they're able to nail some of the features and the integrations that they're planning to. And um, Cosmos, just because Cosmos did a really, really good job with their community. It's why we've worked closely with them to put our smart contract language on top of Tendermint so the Cosmos community will be able to get access to it. Once IBC is up and running, we're planning on integrating that with what we've called Cadenament, which is the Pact and Tendermint combination, so that people can actually go and build apps on Cosmos, build a spoke on Cosmos using Pact. We're wow. now integrating our smart contract wallet with our signing API, which is our DAP integration story um, or uh, feature um, with Kadena Mint as well. And that should be, I think that that'll probably be rolled out in the next like three months, which will mean that you can actually write a DAP that um, just uses you know, a simple web page. And it can, instead of having to inject millions of lines of unaudited JavaScript code into your DAP to be able to integrate it with Ethereum, our solution is so much simpler. It's just you call out to a local server that your wallet is running. And if the wallet is there, the wallet will pop up and say, hey, the DAP asked me to sign something. Please sign off on what I'm going to sign. And if you approve, then I'll send that signed transaction back to the DAP. And then the DAP can go and submit it to the blockchain. Like, very simple, incredibly safe. And soon that'll be coming to Cosmos. They'll be able to use our Chainweaver wallet. So yes, those are the two. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was uh, just voicing my excitement here. <laughs> um, awesome. And then the last question that we have is, if this was the first podcast that somebody in the crypto space happened to stumble upon, what's one thing that you would really want them to know? I think what I would want someone to know is that the fundamentals do matter and that you should really dig into them that they're, uh, because of the nature of crypto, we talk about money and liquidly traded assets way sooner in the life cycle than traditional technology. With web, usually you're not liquid until you IPO and up before then you're doing VC rounds. Um, but with crypto, you're liquid once you launch, which is a totally a total inversion of how you know new emerging technology and innovation generally has worked from the financing side. And that leads to, the capacity to be able to launch something that doesn't do what it says that it does, but is liquid and then can, uh, you know, uh, spike to the moon. And the way that that works generally is by the time that if you're hearing about it and you didn't really know and you hadn't heard about it before and you hadn't dug into the fundamentals, like at the point that you're hearing the marketing for it is probably not the point to jump in like and, you know, with the and bet the house. Like, there's there's just a lot of risk in it. So, you know, look at, you know, teams, the tech, partners, you know, have people, like, have this as a team actually shipped. Shipping is like the theme for at least 2020 of like, are will people ship or will they not ship? 
because that is what is going to distinguish the people who have ideas from the people who um, have actual advances for the community and for the world. That's great advice, Will. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today. We really look forward to our next conversation. And if people want to check out more, where can they go? And where can they contact you if they have more questions? Thanks for having me. It's been a great chat with you guys. Uh, the best place for people to get more information about us is Kadena.io, which is K-A-D-E-N-A.io. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, which is Kadena underscore I-O. Uh, you can swing by, see us on Discord, um, and you can also read about us on Medium. And also our YouTube channel has links to a bunch of you know, good uh, videos that are explaining things. Brilliant. All right, everybody. You guys heard it here first. Cadena, Will Martino. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks again. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.